0: Welcome to the Rusted Garden Homestead Podcast. My name is Gary Pilarczyk and I am the content creator for the Rusted Garden. This podcast is all about vegetable gardening, growing, tending, harvesting, cooking, and sharing it all with family and friends. I'll have guests, co-hosts, I'll do listener Q&A, and generally ramble on about growing food in any size, space, and place. Start small, learn, and expand when you are able. Today's topic is all about planting leafy greens, your lettuces and spinach, planting peas, and root crops. My guest for today is Erica Jones. How are you doing on this beautiful September day?
1: Hey, GP, I'm doing good. I can't believe that we are already into September and we're already thinking about fall. I still feel like I'm eating tomatoes and peppers and loving life. I can't even believe it's time to like start to transition. But you know, it's good, all in the seasons.
0: I am excited, September 1st. And I did look, it's like three weeks till the official start of fall. And part of what I wanted to talk about today, is like last podcast, congrats on us doing number three. This is exciting. Last podcast, we did talk about like getting in a couple of warm crops that could grow and be ready, you know, for your fall garden. But really, I think in Maryland, we're to the point where we want to start just growing the cool crops because we have frost coming and all that kind of stuff. For people that don't know, you're a master gardener, you're a chef, you have equal passion for both. What have you been doing in the cooking and growing world over the last two weeks?
1: Well, right now, since we are knee deep in tomatoes, uh, lots of processing of sauces, um, eating them fresh, slicing them down. I mean, they're just so rich and delicious at this time of year that I can't get enough of them. So a lot of tomatoes are on the plate right now. I'm doing a lot of grilling because it's been warm. I don't like heating up my house in the summertime. So I try to do a lot of dining um, outside as fresh as I can.
0: Well, we're going to talk, I mean, which I can appreciate. I am burned up from the heat. Don't want heat in the house. Want things to be cool. But I'm energized. Like today is a beautiful day. I think it was like under 80 degrees. Perfect morning to be out there. Um, And this is what I really like to roll into the fall crops. Some of the easiest crops for people to grow are lettuces and spinach. Like I was saying, we've got three weeks left of summer now. And it is really time to focus on the fall crops. And what I just want people to understand is we're in Maryland, so maybe they have to start a little bit later for the fall crops or a little bit sooner. But generally speaking, September is a good time to get those, you know, cool soil loving and cool temperature loving crops into the ground.
1: Yes. Now, that makes me think about the, the super cool crops of like broccoli and cauliflower and that fine period of, all right, the soil's still warm out here. Am I going to put my broccoli out, my transplant? Definitely no seeds, but am I going to put my transplants out? I'm trying to time that a little bit. Um, Maybe in another week or so, I'll I'll start putting up broccoli. But right now, it's definitely time for like the peas, getting the lettuce seeds started, your radishes. It's, It's go time.
0: Yeah, and that's what kind of makes it tight. We'll talk about this in a little bit, but I always recommend people, you know, journal. We have missed that period. You know, maybe you could put in a, here in Maryland, like a 40-day zucchini uh, seed or something like that, and maybe it will produce. The broccoli by seeds just aren't going to make it, really. You know, it's kind of what you're mm-hmm. saying. If you have transplants, that can go in. But you can't really miss. You don't need much time for radishes, lettuce, even spinach can take a little bit longer, peas, and some of your other root crops to really grow through the cold frost which people don't understand it's not okay you got a frost date now you can't plant any more cool crops sometimes the frosts in different gardens are just, just mild for like 60 or 90 days so you can keep planting and growing right through them. That.
1: Mm-hmm. and that's when we when we talk about microclimate that's where in your journals you're paying attention to what was the weather like during that time of the month uh, you know where was that garden sited? Was it in a cooler area of your property? So there's a lot that goes into kind of planning around your your fall plantings, but just keeping in mind, soil temperatures and air temperatures are going to be a little bit different.
0: So let's start with a pop quiz, and we'll start with lettuces and spinach. What are what are the three general categories of lettuces?
1: You know, put me on a pop quiz, GP. It, okay. okay. Uh, quiz. I'm going to go with, you've got your loose leaf, you have yep. your heading, um, and then your crisps. So your crisps would, crisps would be like your, um, your icebergs. It's a, it's a head, but it's got that real firm, dense, uh, structure to it as it grows. So those are called crisp heads and then your remains or cause depending on you know, where you are in the country, which you want to call it. Did I do it?
0: Yeah. So. Well, I would give you an 80 because you, you described it right. You have your loose leaf, um, you have your heading lettuce, and then you just have the middle ground. It's what you described. It's like the loose heading type, um, which you, you were calling crisps, like romaine or the bib lettuce or the butter crunch. Mm. I don't like the loose leaf, like red oak lettuce. It's beautiful looking, and it's really leafy. It doesn't form any kind of head. Um, you know, romaine is right in the middle. Crunchy, crisp. Iceberg is even more crispier. I just don't like the loose leaf because it's it's like eating air and they <laughs> they just don't hold dressing or anything like that. I'm like I'm I'm growing it more for its beauty than for purpose. I agree.
1: And with loose leaf, you need like a lot just to harvest a nice big bowl of it. Um and it like you said, it's beautiful, it's lovely. Um, but when I'm ready to get down to business and make a salad, I want hearty lettuces and that's going to be your remains i mean bibs are my absolute favorite bibs buttercrunch um but you want a hardier leaf to be able to to hold that dressing or vinaigrette whatever you're, you're doing with it
0: yeah i've just i'm i'm not growing the loose leaf anymore because you're right like it might take and it can get large but really once you cut them and even the water damages them like the leaf gets damaged it's just not not appealing but you need like two heads to really make something, you know, useful for even you know close to a salad. Bib lettuces are perfect. I like the buttercrunch variety, the romaines. For people that don't know, you can get these in greens and reds and burgundies and all different shades. So you're not missing out by skipping over kind of the loose leaf. Icebergs take a little bit longer to grow, like the round, firm heads. Um, I, I think too, I mean, if you know, correct me, but I think like the iceberg lettuce is the least amount of nutrition of all the lettuces that you can grow. So I don't like growing I that I
1: mean, one. yes, it's true. It's not as green as the others, but the texture. I mean, depending on what you're using it for, for me, like when I'm having tacos, I want those really dense, crispy crunch of an iceberg on my tacos or on my burger. Now, if I'm having a turkey sandwich, then I want to have romaine or like a, a, a more... um delicate uh, lettuce on my sandwich, if you will. So it really boils down to your personal preference and texture and what you like.
0: Yeah. I I mean, I can't argue with that. Although I would, (laughs) I'd recommend the bottom half of a romaine head is almost equal to the crisp and crunch of the ice. Yes. If that's fair to say. Yes. And I agree. Like, that's what I like in a taco is that, you know, kind of the meatier piece of lettuce Mm -hmm. than, than something else dressings vinaigrettes any quick tips for people because i know that or i should say because i don't think cause is a word because i'm going to grow probably three dozen heads of lettuce and in a future podcast we'll be talking about cold frames and ways to kind of extend the season but it's one of my it's probably my top three you know favorite vegetable but it can get boring so what would you recommend in the way of salad dressings or vinaigrettes or something to kind of dress up your salads
1: Well, I mean, a simple vinaigrette is always a great place to start, and it's a very easy ratio to think about. It's three parts oil to one part vinegar. That is your very basic, at minimum, vinaigrette, and you're just going to pick... A neutral oil, one that doesn't have a lot of flavor to it, so that you can then flavor your vinaigrette based on your own personal preference. I like to use oils such as grapeseed or avocado. You can use canola. And the easiest way is just to get yourself a mason jar and you pour your oil into that jar up to, you know, three parts oil, one part vinegar. That vinegar could be red, it could be white. Um, balsamic, apple cider. There's a whole bunch of ranges of vinegars that you can use. And then you just shake the everything out of it until it emulsifies. Um, you can use some a little bit of mustard, either Dijon. I like to, to go with some whole grain mustard sometimes to help that emulsification happen. And emulsification basically is just when you're taking two liquids that aren't mixable and you make them mix. So oil and water, we all know, don't mix. And when you pour your oil into your container, you're going to see once you add the vinegar, which is mostly water, you're going to see those two you know, separate right away. So you're going to put your top on and you're going to shake the mess out of it until it all mm-hmm. combines. And that's what an emulsification is. Mayonnaise, that's an, emuls- um, an emulsification as well.
0: So we should talk about that in a future podcast. Make your own. Manners. Yeah.
1: But even if you weren't to do um, a salad dressing, honestly, my go to is some olive oil, some lemon juice and a little salt and pepper and boom, boom, boom. That is it. Especially on like a masculine mix, a loose leaf salad. Dressings are way, way, way too heavy for those light um, leaf structures. So just a simple drizzle, little toss with my fingers and it's we're good to go.
0: Now, I don't measure. So for people that I do this all the time when I'm talking about um, making sprays and stuff like that, just so people know, equal parts are like three parts to one part. It's just make sure you're using the same size measure. So it could be three cups of olive oil, three cups or one cup of vinegar in your case. Or just if you're using a shot glass, three shots of oil, one shot of vinegar, just to make sure, you know, the measure is equal. Yeah, we can get caught up with the
1: measuring part
0: for sure. Yeah, and just, you, you don't have to be exact either, because I was going to say, I, I put into a, a big um, measuring cup an eyeball of red vinegar, an eyeball, and I usually use olive oil, even though that's stronger. Um, you know, I press some garlic into it, salt. I like to smash a tomato and put the juice into it, and that's what I use for my light dressing. And, you know, shake it up in a mason jar, like you said, because then you can just store it in the refrigerator and use it, you know, keep it in there till you use it mm-hmm. all.
1: And sometimes, like it, depending on how strong your shake is, it might break, that emulsification might break, but it doesn't matter. You just shake it back up. Or you can get your immersion blender and just a couple boom, boom, booms, and it's emulsified again.
0: Let us, our, how about pop quiz number two? Are you ready? I didn't put this, we have an outline for people listening. So some of this stuff. You know, Erica, you know it's coming up. But this is a pop quiz that's truly a pop quiz. What percentage of the lettuce leaf would you say is water?
1: I'd say like 99%.
0: It's close. 90% water. So when we're growing lettuce, we are growing leaves. So obviously keep the soil moist. You don't have to over worry about watering because you're into the fall and, you know, things are cooler. But because we're just growing a leaf that's mostly water, setting up your soil, you don't have to worry about putting in compost, which, if you have it, it's always great to put in more compost. You don't have to worry about putting in the organic granular fertilizers, they take a while to break down anyway. You just need a water soluble fertilizer, like fish emulsion. Some of them are like 5% nitrogen, 1% phosphorus, 1% potassium. Your soil probably in the ground, not containers, I'll talk about in a second. Your soil in the ground probably has everything you need to grow your cool crops. But for lettuces, for spinach, giving them a big drink of a water-soluble fertilizer gives them nitrogen right away, helps leaves grow. And really, you're growing out of water and nitrogen. And you'll be very successful that way. If you have a container, if you've been growing in that, the fertilizer life gets sucked out of there. So you may have to put in additional amendments, but you could always, again, use a water-soluble fertilizer. And I just want to mention that because I don't want feeding and fertilizing and care and soil prep to become a barrier to growing food. Like you could almost just plant your seeds.
1: Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's minimal. And like, just like us, we require nutrients daily um plants we'd say every two weeks or so depending on how they're doing so it's not like you don't take it out of the equation but you don't stress about it so much that then you you're overfeeding them which can can lead to some issues
0: there's i mean the more that i do this i've been doing this i don't even know 20 years 25 years straight actually and plus years as a kid when i learned uh, from my grandfather Um, we can get trapped into thinking we got to buy the fanciest stuff with the coolest looking packaging and the plants could care less about that. They don't want any of that. So we're just sort of wasting our money. So as we progress the podcast and we put our beds to rest in the fall, we'll be talking about that, what to give them. And then in the spring, how to wake your beds up with, you know, compost or some other fertilizers. But I really want this podcast to be about growing the food. You know, cooking the food, sharing with family, friends, and having the least amount of stress as possible.
1: That sounds like a really good life, GP.
0: I mean, that's a good life. (laughs) I get to to, to do some of that. But life always has its stress. That's why no matter where you are, what you are doing, who you are, life stress gets in the way. Let's keep the gardens and cooking food something enjoyable. Absolutely. Soil temps. What do the cool weather crops love?
1: Ooh, I'd say they'd love to be anywhere in like 45, no more than 70, uh, but that like 45 to 65 to me seems like a real sweet spot.
0: Yeah, I mean, we're going from soil temperatures that are 90, 100 degrees, 110 degrees. I know our friends out in the southern states Um, you know, probably topping that. So come like September 1st, again, we're using Maryland and you'll have to, people have to sort of do a journal and just track when they put seeds in. But that soil temperature is dropping down to 60, 70, 80 degrees. The nighttime temperatures of 45, 50, 60 are perfect. Day temperatures, 60, 70 are what these cool crops love and they just grow slow and steady and they do just really well coming out of summer, going into the fall here in Maryland.
1: I kind of almost want to say they do better like our, cause the spring, your spring crops, fall crops are basically the same. Um, but in the fall, they just do better as the temperatures go from warm into cool versus cold into cool in the, you know, late winter and early spring.
0: We have a question um, from a listener. That's going to address that exactly what you're talking about. So, I'll save that for when we get down to there. I have a blog, the Rusted Garden Journal. If people want to check that out, the link to all the stuff that we talk about, our social media will be in the description of the podcast. But you can find, I don't know, 30, 35 vegetables that are ready to grow for a fall garden. Some of them were warm crops, but a nice big list of you know all the cool crops that are great to get into the ground now. And We're only covering some of them, uh, mostly because... Some of my favorites are lettuce, spinach, peas, and radishes. I love radishes. They used to be my nemesis. It took me years, believe it or not, to get them to be able to grow and form, you know, a nice, you know, root ball, basically. Um, All I was growing was leaves, which you can cook and eat, but I want that radish, you know. Um, And I was over fertilizing my ground. I was putting in Way too much nitrogen and putting them in a little bit too early. So the combination of warmth when I'm growing in the fall, the warmth and the nitrogen just had these leafy greens grow and nothing really formed. So you do have to learn a little bit about what each crop likes and needs.
1: I got to say, though, you're like the radish king. Your radishes are gorgeous. The
0: So to do that, All I recommend is don't feed your radishes. Let them live off of what's in the ground. um, And, you know, see how they go. And then variety-wise, Cherry Bell, Crimson Giant, Roxanne's a hybrid, which is a massive uh, globe radish. And then French Breakfast for more of that oblong, longer radish that grows really fast. And radishes um, can be ready really from germination in anywhere from 25 to 40 days. And I don't, we didn't mention it for lettuces, but lettuces can be ready as in little as 40 days to 75 days. So in Maryland, plenty of time to, to grow all these. So what's the difference between a radish, in your opinion, grown in the cool weather versus a radish grown when the summer gets too hot and affects it?
1: Uh, so in the coolest weather, they're beautiful, they're uniform, the color is vibrant, they're sweet, they're crunchy. In the warmer temps, they are often split, they're dry, they're fibrous, they're spicy. Uh, I don't want any parts of a radish in the summer.
0: Yeah, they're awful. And the one thing, actually, I just thought of this as, as I was listening to you. One thing that you can do with a radish that passes its prime, and you know you know how small radishes radish is, like this, let's just say the size of a golf ball with a couple of leaves on top. If you let that grow into the summer, it will actually get three or four feet tall. The leaves get more kind of viney-like, and it will produce hundreds of flowers. If you let those flowers form seed pods, you get these crunchy, sweet, delicious radish-tasting seed pods that you can harvest through, um, really through June in Maryland, and they're delicious. I've even pickled some of them. So, yeah, the the radish ball is gone, the bulb I guess. But you'll get hundreds of pods off of there. And you just need to keep one radish. It's plenty of pods for you to enjoy and eat in salads and and pickled as I was saying.
1: It's crazy. And it's beautiful. It really is pretty and to see them as a unique uh vegetable on your crudite plate, plate you know, that it's an interesting, like, "Oh, what is this?" and you can say, "Oh, these are radish pods." And you'll blow all your friends' minds.
0: Yeah, and they—I mean—they don't look like radishes. They look strange. They look almost like—I don't know—some weird larvae pods Um, in a way. Yeah, green, very small, absolutely delicious. What else can you make with radishes?
1: So, I mean, I think radishes for me—they're—they're a texture thing. I love their crunch, so I like to put them as toppers on salads, on tacos. Of course, I love them pickled shaving them really thin and eating them raw with just a little bit of lemon juice and some herbs they also pair very well with butter and um you know in some of your french techniques you'll see the radish sandwich with beautiful whipped butter and bread with (laughs) just a little bit of salt uh it's a great snack and um an easy way to eat them
0: the french breakfast Cut the leaves off. Leave, I like to leave maybe a half an inch of the green on the radish on the French breakfast. Cut that in half. You know, I don't, I mean, I really just don't do whipped butter or anything like that. But put them into a, a frying pan, saucepan or whatever. I guess a frying pan. A little bit of oil, but a lot of butter. Warm them up. They're absolutely delicious. They're a great way to eat them. And leaving that little green on there is a, a nice extra flavor. Um, and I do want to encourage people to use the radish greens because it's just full of nutrients.
1: Absolutely. Also roasted, roast those bad boys, cut them in half, put a nice little oil on them, roast them four twenty-five for maybe 10, 15 minutes. Get a little bit of that caramelization color on them. It's a completely different way to have them. They soften, they get real tender. Um, uh, so it's a, it's a cool way to try them that way too.
0: And I also I I've been pickling which you know cuz I brought pickles in the other day to the farm and just keep talking about it. I'm using 5% apple cider vinegar. If you slice radishes, you know, thin as you want, thick as you want, put them in that 5% apple cider vinegar, maybe throw in some garlic or whatever spices or herbs you want. Really within a day you can eat them, they're pickled, but let them sit in the refrigerator, you know, they should stay in the refrigerator um in like 3 weeks or so they're just absolutely delicious like you it doesn't necessarily change the flavor changes the texture but it's just a combination of all that that just takes radishes beyond take them out of the ground put salt on it and eat them and you can store them that way for a long long time so good any other root crops that come to mind um i know beets well, we could probably grow beets now in Maryland, yeah. Right? So You yeah they, they would yeah. make it
1: yeah we've got some going at the farm now i love beets And I mean, I know they have a bad rap because people think they taste like dirt. But just for a minute, remember where they grow? In the soil. (laughs) So they're going to have that earthy flavor. But oh man, their nutrients, the minerals, like beets are where it's at. And they're so versatile.
0: The purple top turnip, you hear me talk about that all the time. That's a wonderful, fast-growing root crop too. So maybe if you're doing... Some radishes, some beets, and purple tops, you'll have a nice range of, you know, root crops for your, for your fall garden. The purple top can get, you know, you can harvest that when it's golf ball size or baseball size. Um, they'll grow to softball size. You can make mashed potatoes with them. I mean, they're just absolutely delicious. And then all of these crops, radishes, beets, and turnips, we can eat the greens and you can mix them into your salad. So we've kind of got a theme developing here um, with, you know, the selection of stuff I, I picked to talk about. And that theme is, of course, salads. So in this part of the podcast, which I call FYI or Garden Tips, I just want to stress again for new gardeners, you're not supposed to know exactly when to put every seed in the ground or what's a warm crop, what's a cool crop. You're going to learn as you go. So I do recommend just getting a journal and making short little notes of when stuff goes in the ground, um, how well the crop did. And you're going to learn over time to just adjust what goes into the ground spring, summer, and fall. And I know you're a big supporter of growing and cooking happiness. How do these, these, these things impact your life?
1: It's like my whole life. Uh, you know, once I decided to go into the culinary industry and... Um, really jazzed about creating delicious food for myself, my family, and friends. Then it was like, okay, we're gonna start growing it, and it turned into this love affair of tending to food that then tends to my body. And um, I shout from the rooftops as much as I can that connection. And it's one of those things where you don't realize it, or don't until you experience it. Uh, and so, you know, you and I are out here promoting grow food, grow, 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 just so you can get that taste of what it feels like to be the steward of a seed and grow it from seed to fruition, whatever that fruit wants to be. And then taking that beyond into your home and preparing it in a way that feels good to you. Um, it is just a phenomenal feeling and I want it every single day of my life. I mean, I would assume you agree, GP.
0: I do agree. And I think that's a beautiful answer. And I feel like I messed up the intro. So I want to try it again. (laughs) (laughs) Erica, I know you're a big supporter. uh, I messed it up three times. One more time. I know you're a big supporter of growing and cooking happiness. How do these things impact your life? That's what I wanted to say originally. Because the happiness really, I think, flows through you. When I see you at the farm. When you're talking about cooking, when you're talking about growing, um, it just becomes integrated. It's not just, oh, I planted a seed, oh, I harvested something. It becomes a part of your life, like you're saying. And I do want to get that kind of, maybe we could say taste or experience into people's lives. Because cooking sometimes seems like it can't be achieved. Growing is made more complicated and we're told to go to the supermarket. But once people just do a little bit and learn more and more about each of those, I think the happiness really does set in. And then you get to share it with family and friends. You get to meet people with similar passions. And it just becomes such a big part of your life.
1: There there are some folks that will say, I don't have time to be gardening. I don't have time to be cooking. Um, And that really, you know, we encourage you to maybe rethink that and see where you're spending time that is maybe not to the best of you know best use of it and you know being in nature there's all kinds of studies that that are going to tell you how beneficial it is just to be in nature so you could choose to take a walk or you know go um, mow your lawn but i think growing is one of the best ways to be in nature and experience all of the benefits all wrapped up into one
0: yeah. and the thing with growing and i agree with you that nature is often overlooked i mean we're you know gently guided and it becomes just part of our routine to always buy to work you know which is fine you need all that stuff but you can't make an excuse for something that's going to benefit you and getting out and seeing sort of the glory really in the beauty of nature trying to figure out why is it there you know what where it come from all that wonderful stuff but it gives you peace of mind You can take, like you were saying, the tiniest seed, drop it into the ground. I mean, for people that have not grown radishes before, they're, you know, small, you know, maybe kind of like um, a couple grains of salt. If that, it will grow into a three foot plant with all those pods that we talked about. You know, a tomato will bring 40 pounds of tomatoes from this tiniest seed. And I think that's an experience, you know. People should at least try it. And if you don't like it, you don't like it. But I want them to have a chance to, to discover it, I guess.
1: That's why I do radishes with kids at school. Um, one, because they are fast. Aren't they like the fastest crop we can get a radish in terms of how fast it is? and arugula, arugula. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But it's because it's so fast and they get to see that happen in as little as 25 days, It. Their whole And they're so excited to then go pick a radish. Now, I don't know how many kids, my kids aren't out there like, oh, I love radishes. But for some reason, when they start to grow it, then it's a completely different experience. And now they want to put it in their mouth.
0: Well, that, that's the magic that, you know, kids have and adults have. But it just kind of goes away from us. Because I remember, like, when I go over to the farm, um, sometimes the uh, Roots and Wings sessions are in. The kids are all there. And when it's radish harvesting day, you see the biggest <laughs> smiles, people walking around, the kids walking around, like the radishes are like their pet and they're showing it off and stuff like that. Um, they just have such a good time. But just because they're kids doesn't mean you and I don't have that or other people can discover it. Um, and that's, I think, what the garden brings. I mean, I also like kind of segueing that into cooking. We're talking about uh the greens off of turnips, you know, maybe not the part that we're eating. Stock pots, basic stock, getting ready for the fall. It'll be a future podcast. We'll be talking about soups. What would you recommend for people, um, you know, wanting to learn how to make stocks or getting ready to make soups? Because not the lettuce, but all these other ingredients you could use in soups in some
1: way. Mm-hmm. I mean, anything can be made into a soup. Um, and your stock is going to set the tone for the the depth of flavor in your soup and at basic stock is nothing more than um, taking bones or vegetables covering them with water bringing it up to a really high boil turning it down and letting that simmer for hours depending on if it's chicken or vegetables um, and letting all of the flavors infuse into that water That water is now your stock. Once everything is strained out, you've got this beautiful developed liquid full of minerals and nutrients and flavor that then can become the the mother to whatever soup that you're making. And typically, like your basic chicken soup is always gonna start with your chicken bones, some celery, some carrot, onion, some herbs, bring that all to a big boil. And then you turn it down and you let that sit. Now, some will say 10 to 12 hours. Uh, I like, for chicken, I like to go anywhere between like four to eight. Um, But it really does change the depth of flavor to your soups when you do a stock, as opposed to just like making a soup straight off and being done with it in five minutes.
0: For a stock pot, like I know like if I'm making... um hot sauce or something like that. And I'm using vinegar. I don't want to use a metallic pot because it creates like this metal mm-hmm. flavor from, I guess from the vinegar and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Anything special with the stock pot. I don't even know what the right term is. It's not ceramic, they're, whatever that they're lined with anything special in a way of, you know, your recommendation for getting your first stock. Pot? Yeah.
1: So more than anything, you want to make sure that it's heavy. You don't want to pick up a pot. That's very light in your hand, heavy, uh pots mean that they're gonna conduct heat very evenly. And so cast iron enameled, when you were talking about that coating, it's called an enameled coating over cast iron, are my favorite. Uh and then I would go to a stainless steel uh as an alternative. But you just want to make sure it's big enough, and you can do a lot in a stock pot, not just make stock and soup. You could saute. I mean the sides are super high, but if you only had one pot in life, you could do it all in a stock pot
0: in a pinch. We, yeah. And we just picked up new pots and pans, I guess, for a fancy name, but that's what we were looking for is we did get one with the enamel. Um, but the bottom or the base, I guess feels like it was a good half an Mm -hmm. inch. It's like just really heavy and solid. Um, and we just started using them and they do, I think conduct the heat better. Um, and it's just a nice, even, process when you're cooking food with them
1: i would caution don't be getting all extra like i gotta go get the most expensive pot in the world no 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 you can go to your local thrift store and find a beautiful used i call them seasoned um but seasoned Mm -hmm. pots that uh you know have had age and time and use to where you know it's going to be a really good pot um try that first then Head over to your local home goods or TJ Maxx. Go into the, the home section. I love it. It's like being in a candy store. All these wonderful, different uh, pots and pans and and uh, knives and all the different things for the kitchen that are at a much more reasonable price. Get up, get off of the brand names. You don't need all that. It just needs to be a really good.
0: Yeah. And we actually, I was trying to think of it. All I could think of is Bed Bath and Beyond, but they're going out of business. But we went to Home Goods, and that's where we found our pots. Um, Different, you know, manufacturers, we just kind of went and they all have their own style, but we kind of just matched them by look. So it's different, you know, manufacturers, but a lot cheaper, had what we wanted. And now we have, you know, a unique collection of pots that Are functional. And, you know, I think I'm talking a long time about pots and pans, but I love gardening and I love cooking. So anyway, let's get back to the cool crops. Um, And I just want to explain to people, because we're growing into the fall, um, and, and we talked about this last podcast, the cool crops, the plants that can take a frost, a light frost, even a medium frost, have a cell structure that they can freeze. And when they freeze, the ice crystals don't disrupt the cell so they warm up and all of a sudden you know they look like they're perfectly fine and that's the beauty of the cool crops so you're not worried about a frost coming frost can come you know every other day it could be short it could be a little bit longer what you're really worried about when you're growing is the deep freezes that freeze that upper inch of the ground and when that upper inch of the ground freezes where the kind of stem of the plant meets the roots in the ground If that freezes to a certain temperature and it's a prolonged freeze, that's what cools off your cool crop. So I just want to encourage people to at least, you know, throw in some uh, radishes, Um, arugula we haven't talked about, but that's a great green that matures in like 25 days. You have plenty of time to grow most of the crops that we're talking about.
1: Mm hmm. Um, Where was I reading something somewhere where they were talking about? in that cell structure it's almost like antifreeze if you will mm-hmm. that the plants have that keep the the um, cell structures from bursting so i think that's kind of cool to think that nature's own antifreeze like nature knows what to do she knows how to um, you know keep her plants alive and thriving depending on you know the climate and i just think that's, What's going that's on? really cool
0: And that's, you know, I like, you know, reading and learning about that, too. And that's why we don't, you know, I always say a garden wants to grow or a garden wants to give. All we have to do is help it along. Like, we don't need to rescue it because Mother Nature has taught these plants how to grow. We just got to, you know, help them along. We don't have to overcomplicate it. So we have listener questions today. Um, A common question that we both get, you know, at the farm when we're meeting people is people say, what should I plant in the fall? and you know from knowing you i know your answer is always start with what you like mm-hmm. is that fair enough to say very
1: fair i mean what's the point of growing something you're not gonna eat you're wasting time you're wasting energy you're wasting space grow what you like
0: and you can get fooled into thinking you need six varieties of lettuce you know long radishes with like tap roots that grow more like carrots you need the watermelon you're right just Pick a couple of things if you're getting started. One variety of radish, you know, a romaine, maybe some arugula, see how it goes. You don't have to get super fancy with everything. And again, take notes and you know, see how it goes. You're gonna learn more. Like every year, you know, there's a new vegetable I learn about. And I might give it a try. Some of them stay, some of them are god awful. Like I'm like, no wonder I didn't know about it. It it's the worst tasting thing ever. I don't I don't wanna eat this or grow it. Um, but we can get caught into that, you know, swirl of, we got to grow all these different things. People ask me a lot of times too, and you kind of answered it a little bit when you talked about, you know, the mescaline mixes are just cutting leaves. How closely should I plant my lettuces? I see so much, uh, information, you know, that tells me I should be this close or that close. What's your recommendation on that? Know your plant do your research
1: on the plant. And that means the actual variety because some varieties are going to grow to a different height width than others. And at the end of the day, you're trying to make sure that that plant has enough space to get to its maximum mature height and width. So if it's uh, you a crisp head is generally what, six inches in diameter, seven, if you Mm -hmm. will. So I know at least that I'm going to space my crisp head lettuce seeds and enough space so that that can happen as the leaves take on growth in the beginning it's going to look like everything is spaced way too far apart and there's more room don't be fooled chill out let that plant really start to take on its growth and you'll see how quickly it begins to take into that space
0: and you full mature heads like you said anywhere because of exactly what you described four inches apart six inches apart eight inches apart depending on what you're growing you know romaine grows straight up in the air that's why i like growing it because you can give that maybe four to six inches um, and still get these beautiful you know loose heads of of lettuce if you want to grow more for like cut and come again lettuce you can just sprinkle them down in a row um you know let them fall half an inch from each other but you do have to come and then cut them when they're like what an inch two three inches tall Um, because you don't want them to mature to the full size. So you're kind of growing it in a different way. And you cut off the leaves, leave the roots in the ground, and it keeps coming back with new leaves versus the spacing for mature heads. I used to love the cut and come again. Now I want full heads of lettuce, you know, or almost full. Like I might pick a romaine when it's half its size. Um, Another trick that I do is I could do romaine like every three inches, but then I thin out the crop like when I have, partially formed head so i remove one out and then that will leave six inches between so i'm able to eat lettuce over a longer period of time and then i'm leaving some behind with more space to get to a full head
1: and don't be fooled in the grocery store when you're buying like a bag mix or a container mix and it's like baby greens okay that's exactly what it is it's this it's the plant grown to a third of its its maturity and then harvested so you could have baby spinach, you could have baby romaine, you could have baby... It doesn't matter. You can actually kind of pick it when you want to if you want the smaller leaves. Um, one of my favorite romaines is the Little Gem. It's mm-hmm. like, it grows, what, four inches tall? I love them. They're compact. They're super cute. They're great for your sandwich because they're not all big. with with the larger um, heads of romaine you typically have to cut that leaf in half in order to, for it to fit on your sandwich. Um, but I, I think that they're sturdy. They're really great for grilling as well. Romaines have a nice sturdy structure to them so they can take up to a little bit of char on the grill, um, for just a few minutes. And who doesn't love a
0: grilled Caesar?
1: Mm, mm, mm,
0: mm. It's one of my favorite is to, you know, really split a, a head of uh, romaine grill it. Real quick, um, I tend to recommend some people put oil on first and then the oil catches on fire and smokes and wrecks the flavor. I have, I heat up actually some olive oil on the grill with some garlic. And then after, you know, you give it a quick grill, I pour that right across the top and it's absolutely, you know, delicious. Ooh,
1: wait till we make garlic oil.
0: So question number three, I actually have four, even though the section is called three listeners questions. Why do you keep saying plant in succession? What exactly is that? Do you want to tackle that one?
1: It just means planting in interims, if you will. So if I wanted to put out my first row of radishes, I'm going to maybe put 12, 12 seeds out. And in another seven to 10 days, I'll put another 12. And then another seven to 10 days after that, I'll put another 12 so that I'm not getting... 36 radishes all at once, I'm getting 12 a week or so. Uh, so it just allows you to manage your harvest over time so that you're not inundated with a whole bunch at once.
0: That And that makes a big difference. And you actually said 12. Usually I'm planting like 20, <laughs> 30, or 40 in succession. And that's still too much. <laughs> just listening to you, I'm like, oh, you're still planting too much, Gary. Um, but that's another strategy is that the new gardener or even the season gardener since I've been doing this for so long is just the seeds look small but you got to keep in mind how much are you really going to get after that and then the final question is what's the difference between spring cool crops and full cool cool crops which I thought was a great answer um, was a great question we'll see if the answer is great so you were saying before when you're planting in the spring the ground is cold and the seeds don't germinate as quick. And therefore, it could be weeks before a seed germinates. When you're planting into this warm summer soil, the seeds germinate really in like three days or four days. They accelerate their growth. They really get going. So planting in the spring, sometimes we're doing transplants, like we're doing transplants for lettuce, because a seed sitting in 45 degree temperature may just sit for three weeks, and you think it's not going to germinate drop a lettuce seed in the ground today, it's going to germinate in four days. So the speed of germination, the speed of growth really makes a difference. And then the last thing I'd want to add to that is because it's been warm, every bug in the world is out. Aphids, um, chewing caterpillars, snails and slugs are around. So I would prep your growing area with snail and slug bait that has like iron phosphate in it or sulfur bait in it you can find them online and just a week before you loosely scatter the baits around and that will kill off the snails and slugs if not summer into fall a lot of your early seedlings just get devastated by pests
1: yeah it's a real thing and at that slug bait i gotta tell you it's very effective and it doesn't take much just a few droplets and it really does help to control them so they stop putting holes in your leaves
0: Social media. You want to let people know where they can find you and see what you're doing?
1: You can find me at uh, Adesia Girl on Instagram. That's
0: E-D-E-S-I-A-G-U-R-L. Will you tell people what Adesia stands for?
1: So Adesia is near and dear to my heart. She is a goddess of food and community. And as I was trying to develop a name for my company, I really wanted it to mean something really special to me. And I am in the streets as much as I can spreading the good news about food and about um, you know the value of it being local and delicious and, and spending time around it that I just felt like I embody this goddess energy and decided to go with Adija Girl as my, as my name. And I love it.
0: I think that's perfect. I have a book called The Modern Homestead Garden, Growing Self-Sufficiency in Any Size Backyard, which is a long title, but I really love it. The longer that it's out, the more I really appreciate um, what the book provides to people. It's a real easy way for people to get into gardening and not feel like they have to be perfect and know everything. I also have another book coming out in November, so it can be pre-ordered now, called Growing an Edible Landscape, How to Transform Your Outdoor Space into a Food Garden which does go over basic gardening so if you're just getting started but it's just a different way to look at your property and be like why do I want this ornamental bush that the builder stuck here that does nothing why do I want all this lawn some lawn is good what else can I be growing that I can actually eat and use in the kitchen and which could be a handful of herbs so I'm very excited for that book to come out I have a YouTube channel called the rusted garden with over 1600 short uh, to the point videos so you can kind of get some help if you're just getting started check out the rusted garden and that's r-u-s-t-e-d a lot of people think i say rustic but it's the rusted garden because i leave my tools out they rust all for the real time. y'all
1: he's from it, they are literally rusted tools in the garden
0: yeah they become <laughs> part of the decoration after they're rusted i just kind of leave them out there and that's that's what it is and then you can find me on instagram um other places uh you can find our podcast obviously but i'll put all of our stuff in a podcast description. Let's finish up. I noticed that we skipped over spinach. I wanted to talk about that with lettuce. What's your favorite way to really prep and use spinach? Then we'll talk about growing it.
1: So the greener, the better. So obviously spinach is so super green. I love, 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 love green greens. And honestly, if I'm eating my greens for the nutrition of them, I'm not going to cook them very long. A simple saute with some garlic oil is my favorite way to go with spinach. Move a little crushed red pepper in there. But I do love a good quiche. And spinach in my quiche is my ultimate favorite. So I'm always doing quiches. Uh, I do them in my smoothies for sure, especially as we're transitioning from late spring into summer. Best green ever for my green smoothies. And then just wilted into soup. I love making a strattata soup. It is um, basically like chicken broth and some egg. Imagine like an Italian egg drop soup. And at the very end, once I've turned it off the heat, I just drop a few leaves of spinach in there and you let it wilt down. The warmth of the, of the liquid is going to cook that uh, green down a little bit. And then I just eat it straight like that. Mm, Slurky good.
0: Now that's what I use spinach for. like, And I've, I wasn't even thinking about talking about that. When I'm finishing a soup, doesn't matter what it is, uh, after the you know simmering's done and all that kind of stuff, that's when I chop up some spinach and I put it in there because you don't want it to be cooked away to oblivion.
1: Unless you're having any other oh, Indian dish. that I love that where they do polarize spinach into it almost looks like spinach jam, but it's so good. Um, but spinach is such a delicate leaf that depending on the variety, um, you know, you definitely don't want to over anything to it because it'll just turn into nothingness.
0: And if spinach, you know, unlike lettuce, I mean, you can't, you got to eat it. But spinach, you can freeze it, especially if you're going to be using it for um, smoothies and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So you can grow more than you need. Of course, when it defrosts, it's going to be, you know, soft and all broken up. But you can still use it. I mean, and, and I think it's delicious. I think it has a really nice sweet taste to it. The plant that I like growing is um, of course, I just forgot the name Bloomsdale, long standing mm-hmm. from spring into summer because it it doesn't bolt as quick from fall into uh, I'm sorry, from summer into fall and even through the winter because here in Maryland, spinach can actually really take harsh ground freezes. I like growing um, the giant noble. It's just these massive, large leaves nice stems, nice to chop up, put in, I just put them into scrambled eggs, put them into your soups. Um, Spinach I think is a must grow that can take, depending on the variety, you know, with the speed of germination, 50 days, but really like 50 to 75 days. But it's one of the leafy greens that can take more of a deeper freeze and prolonged frost. So it's great to have in your garden.
1: Speaking of germination, I often, spinach can be a little tricky uh, getting it up and going, especially in the spring. But, um, do you find that germination is a little bit, takes a little bit longer than your other leafy green vegetables?
0: I do. And I find it takes longer in the summer because they, they know that the soil is too warm Mm -hmm. in some way. There's chemical compounds that, you know, change when temperatures change and stuff like that, that help with germination. We won't get into that today. But if you put your spinach in now, just putting some sort of shade structure over it really is going to help it germinate quicker. And you really do want to keep the soil moist. Let that water get in because that seed's a little bit harder than other seeds. Let it, you know, absorb the water. Once it absorbs water, that's what kind of triggers the whole germination process. A combination of good watering, some shade to cool the soil will get your your spinach off to a great start. Do you like peas?
1: Ah, yes. We talked about that last episode, the shelling peas. Mm-hmm. Oh,
0: yeah. That, I mean, that reminded me because what I wrote down here is uh, you might consider peas nature's candy. I would agree. And fresh-picked peas versus grocery store packaged potted peas and plastic wrap, it's no comparison. You, you just don't have that candy sweetness that you talked about before. Um, I've become a greater fan of the shelling peas, like you were just saying, where you get eight, 10, 12, even 14 peas per pod, can't eat the pod, but they're delicious thrown in at the end of, for soups, you know, just pop the peas out, raw in salads. Um, and having the pea itself is a little bit different than having like 10 edible pea pods, like the, the snow peas or the snap peas or whatever. If, I think the sweetness is better.
1: Um, if you can get them into the kitchen, <laughs> uh, I love to do a very quick, quick, quick saute with a little bit of sweet butter and then smash them and put that over some crusty bread, a piece of cheese, cute little, just nice, you've got some friends coming over, you got some peas, just smash them real quick, a little bit of heat and then make that a beautiful appetizer to share with your with your guests, that's quick and easy.
0: That sounds delicious. I mean, I love just French bread, sliced, crisped up, maybe garlic oil on there. And are you are you saying take the actual peas themselves, you know, warm them through quick, yep. whatever saute, yep. smash them <laughs> this way they don't roll off your piece yes. of bread. And it, that sounds wonderful. I think I'm gonna do that. Or
1: add like some bacon or pancetta to it. Like I mean, you can get you know GP kind of calls my fancy sometimes with food. And mm-hmm. I'm really not. Like, I like simple, basic food. But um, I just get excited about all the things that you can do with it with a little bit of out-of-the-box thinking and some courage.
0: It's your passion. And that's, you know, what we want to convey to people. Um, it's not so much our passion, but for them to, to discover their passion. Because once you get growing and once you get cooking, you you're gonna, and maybe you don't like it, I haven't really found that yet with people. Um, They usually do like it. It just takes off exponentially. And you discover a whole new world. And I think life's a little bit better when you grow your own food and you do a lot of cooking. Agreed. I'm just checking over. We covered a lot today. I do want to check one thing. Peas. The pea plant itself can take a frost. The leaves, the stems. The stems are hollow by, by the way, so you have to support them when you're growing them. But the flowers and the pods can't. So if you get a, a long enough frost that day, or you know, it's you know, maybe in the lower 20s, it can damage the flowers in the pea pods. They just end up rubbery, they don't spring back like we were talking about. But the pea tendrils are absolutely delicious. And if you have a short season and maybe the pods aren't good to form, you can grow a hundred peas and you can harvest all the tendrils you can lightly sauté them put them in scrambled eggs you can mix them into salads um i think they would be great on toast because they're really tender but they carry the sweet pea flavor you know through the leaves which a lot of people don't know so there's a lot of different ways you can you know use the pea plant and
1: the pea nutrition like it's think about that like micro I'm going to call it a micro pea, if you will, but that nutrition uh-huh. is so concentrated as it's starting to, you know, mature,
0: getting them early,
1: put them on top of your tuna salad sandwich instead of lettuce. Done deal.
0: Oh, yeah, that would be wonderful. Um, or use it like lettuce yeah, in your sandwiches mm-hmm. for sure. Again, learn something new. I'm going to be growing. I have peas in the ground already for the pods and all that kind of stuff. But I'm going to be just, and when you're growing just for the tendrils, the seeds can, you can scatter them. They can like fall half an inch next to each other. Let them just grow together and support each other. And you go out there and you have 50 seeds that you scatter down. You're going to get a lot of greens out of there that you can use. And they're going to stay pretty hardy through a lot of the frosts.
1: Makes me, Any last... Yeah, it makes me think ahead. about... Okay, so as, when we start getting into... It's like December and it's cold and there's nothing that we can grow outside. You could do that inside. You could take them peas and just make yourself you know, a cute little tray and grow them in your window or under a light and still get that delicious pea flavor and nutrition even in the dead of winter.
0: Well, maybe like it, come January or something, we can talk about what you can grow indoors. Because I've grown tiny tim tomatoes so that you can get your cherry tomatoes i have grown peas before um and they grow in a different way even if it's dark you know you get this non-green pea shoots that you can actually cut and eat so there is a lot that you can do just to kind of you know get yourself at least in maryland through that late december what early february when you can't really get much out into the ground any other thoughts on what we talked about today
1: I would say go get yourself some seeds and get going. Just do it. Leave it with us.
0: And I would say go ahead and get your first stock pot because we are going to be talking about soups down the line, um, using everything that's out in the garden, different herbs and just making a great stock. And then also we'll be talking about making soups, which, you know, today I thought you did a great job really explaining food without a visual. So I think we're going to be able to talk about soups and cooking and do pretty good on the podcast. Of course, down the line, you're going to have reels on Instagram. You'll have videos and stuff like that, and we'll direct people to kind of see what we're talking about in cooking. But I think it's going to be a lot of fun, you know, doing um, the Homestead podcast with you and really having that cooking piece brought into here. One of the things that people tell me is they got growing down, but they don't know what to do with all the produce. So that's what we're going to teach you on this podcast. Um, please visit my seed shop at therustedgarden.com. You can find all the seeds that you need there. And again, you want to throw out your social media?
1: Adijagirl on Instagram, E-D-E-S-I-A-G-U-R-L. I also have a website, same thing, adesiagirl.com.
0: Thanks so much for listening. Good luck in your gardens. And remember, it's okay to start small, grow a little bit, get digging. Same thing with cooking. Just get started see how it goes. And I think you're going to have a wonderful journey. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Take care.